0: Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast dedicated to talking about the things no one wants to talk about in real life. My name is Christina, your host. And I know this episode is coming out a little off schedule. My mental health has been all over the place, as has everyone's. And it's been really hard for me to stick with anything. And so, This podcast has kind of fallen off to the wayside, and I feel guilty about that. But rather than focus on my guilt, I'm just going to keep moving forward and publish new content whenever I can and keep reaching out to hear your stories because you are all amazing. And it's more important now to talk about mental health than ever. Uh, So I'm just going to talk about the last few weeks I'm in therapy again, which is amazing, I don't know if I mentioned that. My therapist is a wonderful woman who challenges me, I don't know if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. I had to shut him in the bathroom because he's so fucking loud. Every time I try recording, he like knocks shit over and generally tries to make as much noise as possible, so you might hear him a little bit, but um... (laughs) Yeah, therapy is going really well. The main thing that I've been focusing on is just acknowledging my feelings and recognizing that they're just feelings. And feelings come and go. uh, And we kind of think of them as things that control us. Like, I'm sad. I can't do anything about it. But Your thoughts really do control your feelings. Um, I mean, anyone who's familiar with CBT knows that you can definitely affect the way you feel by the way you think. An example of this is, you know, when I'm feeling sad, it's easy for me to go down a spiral of, I'm always going to feel this way. No one loves me. I'm just a big fake. But I've been trying to challenge myself to combat those feelings with thoughts like, Your brain is lying to you. You are not always going to feel this way because you haven't always felt this way. Um, You're not a fake. You're just a human who experiences shit like everyone else and everything will be okay. And even when I say that, it seems like a lie because obviously everything is not okay in the world. And I also don't believe in burying your head in the sand and telling yourself everything's going to be okay and just ignoring the shit show around you. Um, and that kind of brings me to what I wanted to say in this intro. Um, the, the episode you're about to hear is great. I interview my friend who wants to remain anon- anonymous. Um, but we talk about a lot of issues that don't have anything to do with the world. Like we talk about body image and relationships and stuff like that. It's not lighthearted, but it, it's a break from the stuff that's happening for sure. So I wanted to say that one thing it's really easy to do when you have a mental illness is to isolate, um, as you're all aware of. And right now, the first impulse might be to isolate more than ever. Um, That was my position for the longest time, was to just kind of not listen to the news, unfollow everyone on social media, just kind of be a hermit and ignore all the stuff that's happening, but I have been challenging myself not to do that, basically. Like, as a white cis woman, I have a lot of privilege, and I think we're at a point in history where it's just not an option anymore. (laughs) My cat. Oh, my God. He wants to be on the podcast so bad. (laughs) is ridiculous um yeah isolation just isn't an option like we are humans in the world and as people with privilege it's up to us largely to change things and of course you tell yourself what can i do i I can't do anything like we are powerless to affect change and in many ways it's true um we don't, like, we're not going to overthrow the government overnight. We're not, we're not going to, like, overthrow corruption, uh, all these corrupt systems overnight, especially just us. Like, but one thing you can do is educate yourself and be curious. Um, I watched my favorite author, Margaret Atwood, in uh, a lecture last night online And she's 80 years old, and when asked how she's dealing with the current state of the world, her answer was, uh, I just stay curious. And if she can do that as an 80-year-old woman, why can't I? Like, the bare minimum I can do is educate myself and spread awareness in whatever small ways I can. And so with this small platform that I have... I really want to challenge all my listeners not to isolate. I want to challenge you to look at the people you follow. Look at the news that you absorb. Um, Ask yourself if it's accurate. Ask yourself if they're well-informed. Like, and, and the reason I'm faltering over this so much is because I still don't really know what I can do. But awareness is the first step. And so I am committing not to bury my head in the sand i am committing to educating myself and spreading awareness as much as i can and that that's it that's all i have to say so with that said i'm going to jump straight into my interview with my friend i hope you guys are staying alive first of all um obviously if you weren't you wouldn't be listening to this but i hope you guys are okay and Um, I posted about this on Facebook, but um, I'll say it again here. If anyone is struggling with mental health um, and feels like they don't have any options, please know that I'm here to support you. Um, There are resources for you. I'm in Washington State, which is number 45 or 46, I forget, out of 50 in terms of mental health resources. And over the last year, I've been continuously disappointed by the system and not been getting the help I needed. And I don't know what I would have done without the people in my life to help me. And, you know, as society continues to crumble around us, that's all we have, really, are the people in our circle. And so I urge you to Surround yourself with good people, and don't be afraid to ask for help, because you can't help anyone else if you're not in a good mental state. Uh, and that's a reminder to myself as well. All right, I love you guys, and here's the episode. Okay, it's recording. Yay, we're good. We oh my fucking god! That's like the audio is recording. Yep, yeah, the audio is recording for sure. Okay. This is insane. So for those who don't know, we tried recording, what, a week ago? Yeah. (laughs) And um, we got through a whole hour of great conversation. And then um, I was using Zoom, which I don't normally use. And little did I know that it was recording me, but not you. Yep. (laughs) Wait, so you only had the one side. Yeah, I literally just had my own voice going like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh man, cool. And it was the most obnoxious thing I've ever heard in my life. It was really sad. I I wasn't, I was too sad to even be upset. I just like, closed my laptop and I was like, okay, cool. God damn it. (laughs) Oh Oh my my God. God. How are you doing today? Um, it's a little bit of a rough day. A little bit. Oh no.
1: I, I started out okay, but like, you know how our brains do.
0: Uh, do I ever? Yeah, how are you doing? Uh, same. I am I had a rough day yesterday. Today, I've just kind of been trying to stay positive and get back on track, but it's hard. Mm-hmm.
1: For real. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm, like, keeping myself in check. I'm like, okay, can feel the spiral coming, but, like, we're not doing that today.
0: Yeah. So. It's like, I keep telling myself, uh-huh. you don't have the option to spiral, you dumb bitch. Don't do it. Exactly. <laughs>
1: See, my impulse too was to stay inside tonight and just sleep, but I was one of my friends asked me. Um, he's having a bonfire, so I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go. I'll commit to going for at least an hour. Like I'm gonna be social. So that's, that's the plan.
0: Nice. The game
1: plan. Yeah. I believe in you. Thank you. Okay,
0: so let's. <laughs> We already You already did this for the last interview, but would you mind saying who you are? With You don't have to say your name or anything. I know you want it to be anonymous, but um, how old are you and where do you live? And what's your mental health history?
1: I am 25. I'm living in Jersey. My mental health history. Oh, boy. Um.
0: Well, I know last time we started with childhood, and I feel like yeah. we kind of breezed by some of the stuff. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, so in terms
1: of, like, mental health, like, diagnoses and stuff like that, um, I'm dealing with, like, depression, anxiety, and an eating disorder predominantly. So last time I know we talked, um, it was a little, there was, I think we were talking about um, my whole situation with my dad and how I'm, like, low contact with him and... Basically, it's I grew up with just me and my sister and my dad. My mom passed when I was a little baby. And my sister and I were never really that close. And I was always the very sensitive one who felt everything in the family. And my dad would often like mock me and like be like, stop being this way. And as a kid, that makes you feel real bad. Um, Yeah. But he, you know, was always a very sick man, both mentally and physically and It's hard growing up that way, having one parent who's that ill and doesn't want to take care of themselves, too. And, like, that being the norm, you know, as a kid is just confusing.
0: Are you the older sister or the younger sister? I'm the youngest. Did you find yourself having to step into the role of caretaker a lot of times, or did your sister do that? So
1: because my sister was older, it was almost put on her, um, which I feel so bad about as an adult, especially... Um, I think about it a lot how growing up I was the one dealing with more emotional problems but more under wraps like I wasn't as forward as I am now about it and my sister always was very poker faced and able to just put on that poker face and just get what had to be done done and um, take care of you know everyone else and I can't imagine being in that role like as the older sister and I Stepped up more when I was um, maybe like high school, maybe more towards the end of high school. But for a while, it was mostly on her. Does she have mental health issues herself? I can imagine. I want to say we're a lot more similar, and especially now that I've been connecting with her and as an as an adult, um, I want to say we're a lot more similar than I thought we were. I always thought we were such different people. We. You know, the way we present ourselves, the way we communicate, you know, she's just kind of not I don't want to say standoffish because it comes with such like a negative connotation. But like, you right. know what I mean? She's just she's stoic. Um, Yeah, she's she's stoic. But I think, you know, she, I can imagine based on all the trauma that we've gone through together, there's a lot more similarities with us. Um, and which is, you know, nice now as adults, like we can talk about things a little bit easier and she is opening up to me more, which is like really nice because also, you know, with my dad being as ill as he was, he would do this really twisted thing where he would like try to pin us against each other and like lie to one of us. And then the other would, you know, have to find out or he'd be like, okay, let me tell my, my sister or something. And then, oh, but you can't tell, you can't tell her though. Oh like, so we were always just Yes. And I would always go back and forth. What was that
0: that like talking to her later and comparing notes and being like, holy shit, this was happening? (laughs) No,
1: as adults now, like, we know how bad it is. So now whatever I know, I'm like, hey, just so you know, dad told me this. And she's like, I didn't know that, actually. Thanks for letting me know. Like, because we we're not taking that bullshit anymore. There's no point. Also, just a little bit more backstories. My mom passed from colon cancer. I was turning, I was two and a half turning three and my dad stopped taking care of himself gave up he would talk to his you know children about this especially me because i he knew i was the more sensitive one and my sister would not talk to him about anything and i would and he would kind of abuse that side of me too like he would just unload all of this really heavy stuff on this on me who i was you know in elementary middle school just telling me all these really, really heavy things that I'm not prepared for and not capable of. Of
0: course um, handling. not. Your, your brain hasn't developed yet, and it, it's it's your dad. No. <laughs> your only parent, like talking
1: about you know how he thought about taking his life and makes you think is he's still thinking that? So yeah, he's he's just been that way for so long, and it you know messed me up as a kid because I'm always just on edge and I don't want to trigger him, and he was always just so freaking angry. And but yeah, no, as adults now, my sister and I are practically you know staying low contact with him in the past few weeks um of doing this there there have been ebbs and flows of like us being low contact with him but um in the past few weeks of doing this I've felt a lot more confident I felt like I can think I can take care of myself I can do things that I want which is really nice and I'm sure my sister has felt that way too because it's just such uh, like and it's going to sound really selfish saying this, but like, he's just such like a leech. Yeah. Like, there's a subreddit, actually, which people should totally check out if you hear any similarities with my situation. It's um, the subreddits are raised by narcissists. It's really, really validating. Um, When I first discovered it, I was like, holy crap, like, I'm not crazy. This is really how people live. You know, people have grown up with these narcissistic parents and ended up with similar mental illnesses or you know triggers or whatever
0: so as a kid did you feel different like set apart from your peers like how did your mental illness start manifesting itself
1: I started having suicidal thoughts when I was like really young like like elementary school like it started loud too and I um like it just it was always a part of my life and I thought it was normal for a while I was like okay all kids kind of deal with this but like as that continues, it's like how it it severely impacts your life. And I became super, you know, I was really a perfectionist and like wanted to get the best grades and play soccer, even though I still am not sure to this day if that's something I genuinely like, or if that's just something I'm good at. I wanted to do things that would make people approve of me and like my dad, you know, approve of me or like, you know, and it, developed into an eating disorder practically that way of thinking um when i was in college not till college um you know is when the eating disorder decided to show its ugly face but um i remember last time when we recorded i talked about how i talked to my dad one day when i was like i think i was like ninth or tenth grade and i told him like i was you know really struggling with suicidal thoughts like i didn't know it's at the point where like, okay, I'm not sure if I can keep myself safe, but like, you know, I don't want to be dramatic. I don't I'm not sure where on the realm of like normal this is. So I I sat down with him and I was like, hey, like I think I might be dealing with depression. And his answer was, no, you're not. You don't know what depression is. And like that's you know so it was,
0: beyond fucked up. Yeah. Well, one of the questions I normally ask people on here is like, how was mental illness talked about in your family? But with you, it's a special case because you know about suicidal thoughts because your dad is unloading all of his on you, but you don't yeah. have that healthy space to talk about it for yourself. And when you try shit like that happens. So like, exactly. That's yeah. messed up.
1: It's so messed up. And it just makes you like, I had no idea what was normal and what I should be feeling or what I shouldn't be feeling. And, you know, and everything that I thought was legit in my brain. Like my dad was like, no, no, no. I'm like, okay, don't, So I just kept, like, this sounds so cliche and almost cringy, but, like, living a lie. Like, you just form, like, you make this personality for yourself. You create interests for yourself that will gain approval. um, And that's your only way of surviving, almost. I mean, for me, at least, how I felt. I know know a lot of people Uh,
0: who can, who have that in common with you. I mean, it it goes all the way from... Like, it's not always so extreme with some people, just, like, you know, changing your personality when you're with a different friend group, for instance. Like, we all do it to some extent, but I think it can cross over from, like, just a social thing you do to, like, a a survival strategy. And I think that's what you experienced from the sounds of it. Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, my eating disorder
1: even developed is, like, because I had, like, I was just so rigid in, like, who I, you know, wanted to be or needed to be, and, like, it just, that perfectionist mindset will just, like, for me, it just manifested in numbers and counting, and it started a little bit with body image, but, like, it still has to do with body image to some extent, but, like, it's more about, like, intake and numbers and counting and having to consume a certain amount, and it's just... An exhausting way to live.
0: so you said the eating disorder developed and you went to college, yeah. so yeah. when you left the house, what were you trying to discover like you you said you don't you didn't really have a sense of reality or who you were like what what kind of questions were going through your head when you left your family?
1: I kind of like I don't want to say went off the rails, but like I was like I got to college and i you know made friends who i actually i connected with on a whole different level, and like I started feeling more genuine, but, like, I still had that underlying, like, stress and anxiety and depression that had been building up for all those years, and I feel like because I could start expressing it more, like, it just all came out, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. because you didn't talk about it, and you don't, and then I had friends who were validating me and, um, wanted me to talk about it with them, and I kind of just became, like, probably way too intense about it, um, and that's when I started seeking therapy, I was in therapy at one point when I was a kid, um, but I my dad found out because my nanny actually I had a nanny growing up. She was the one who like noticed okay like she should probably be in therapy. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I didn't even verbalize it really to her. She could just tell like I was suffering like there's something wrong, and my dad found out and he pulled me out of it. So oh, oh my god, um,
0: what was his reasoning? that you I, don't know what depression I, is, <laughs>
1: like you don't. Oh, oh, okay. So I can tell you, you know, the story of why, what really triggered him to pull me out. It was really twisted. So this will hit you too. I'm, I know it will. It's really sad, but so I had two cats growing up and two cats, um, loved them so much with all my heart and they had a habit of pissing all over the house and they you know my dad would blame me and my sister and be like you guys aren't cleaning the litter box like we were like no like so we would be like neurotic about it make sure it's clean at all times they still peed all over that it's just you know how cats are yeah um so I my dad would like you know what I learned in therapy was he might have been going into what's called like diabetic rages if his blood sugar's out of whack like it can really like come out as anger and frustration and it'll be unwarranted oftentimes so he was he would scream get red face like get in your face and it was scary as a kid yeah um so he you know he freaked out about it one day and it really you know scared me and my sister because he actually put the cats into a crate and put them in the car and um started driving away and was saying he was putting them to sleep holy shit or because of me
0: and my sister not um oh my yeah god imagine how upsetting
1: that is when you're a child I, I can't
0: um, even imagining it now I'm getting upset
1: I know <laughs> it's a heavy story but um yeah so that was and my grandpa was the one who like stopped him eventually and he was like I'd forget if he followed him or if he called him or what happened but my dad eventually came back so that was really traumatizing and I had to have been in like fourth grade at that point And so my dad's blaming us, like, potentially for almost killing my cats because we didn't clean the litter box and they're peeing everywhere. So if that actually followed through, like, holy shit. Oh, my God. But so I told my therapist um, at school because I was shaken up for weeks about it. And she ended up contacting my dad, um, which I don't know why she did that because I don't think that was legit enough in terms of being a licensed professional to confront yeah know, like don't they have parents. rules of confidentiality or whatever yeah not sure where that lies on it um, if that's threatening enough so she contacted him and my dad found out and pulled me out of
0: therapy and that was the end of that so and that, what how so old were you the next time you were in therapy
1: not until college <laughs>
0: <sighs> that's
1: yeah. that's crazy ironically too he was the one who wanted me to go to therapy and he was pushing me to do it in college I'm like I could use this you know it's, it's just a whole twisted dynamic. So yeah, then, you know, since then I obviously took a giant hiatus from going to therapy and then went back when I was, yeah, early college and, um, met the most wonderful therapist in my life. One of the kindest people I know. And like, she getting emotional thing about it, but (laughs) like she basically like, if I didn't see her, I would have been, like, a completely different person. <laughs> oh. Wow. Is that... Let me collect my... Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but... yeah I have a therapist like that, too, Or I, I had to stop seeing him for, like, distance, I guess, which is ironic, because now everything is teletherapy. Yeah. Uh, but I wrote him a letter. I was... And he responded. <laughs> he was just like, we've closed your file. Oh. Also, thank you. <laughs> I was like... You're yeah, insane. like, oh my therapists God. can do so much, but, like... <laughs> It just yeah. it's hard to find the right one, but if you do, it's just priceless. Like uh, it's the number 1 yeah. thing you can do for your mental health and I tell everyone who has had a bad therapist or feels like they'll never be able to find one, like just keep going right. because it's so important. Like I can't even express how important it is. And I'm guilty of taking breaks myself. Like I'm just coming back from a very long break from therapy and it sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress, but like when I talk to friends about it, like when I talk to you, when I just sit down and really think about it it's like wow this actually is getting into my brain like whether I know it or not
1: it's so impactful and like I've had the same thoughts like when I was in it at first I was like super defiant to the idea of therapy like I was like f this like I don't need this I'm you know I- I'll be fine but then after a while like and I didn't even realize the changes were happening and like years passed I saw her for almost all four years despite like at one point I did a dbt group see here for like half a year but I'm telling you, like, she was one of the only people who ever was able to talk some sense into me. She, you know, started out super validating. And like, then she started challenging me more. And I was like, wait, she's on to something like, I don't want to be stagnant in my life. Like, I don't, you know, want to sulk and just sit in misery. Like, why don't I actually make changes that can, you know, they might be hard, and they might, might be uncomfortable facing your own demons and like, accepting your flaws and, you know, your shortcomings. But it's just like, you don't like. You're just gonna be miserable. Yeah. You know, and like obviously I'm not perfect now, but like I'm able to have more meaningful connections with people. I'm able to better like emotionally regulate and like communicate my needs. You're very and self-aware. Al- yeah, but I I think I am. But like also, man, that comes with like some downfalls. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, when you're too, you know what I mean. Like, it's just. Sometimes I wish I could turn that off a little bit, but um, I don't know. I'm at a point where I'm trying to be generally more like self accepting in terms of like what I look like, how I act, like my interests, my hobbies, whatever. Like, um, especially now, like I'm getting back
0: into dating. I'm just yeah, like, I want to talk about what? that a little bit. That's yeah. exciting, so it's exciting
1: and nerve wracking. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I've kind of brushed on it in the past on this podcast, but I don't think I've ever done like a full episode about dating when you both have a mental illness or like I don't know if that's the case for the person you're dating but and you know that's a whole other episode but I'm still really curious because I know you're Mm -hmm. you're still going through it like you said no one's perfect and even the last time I talked to you I think you were you hadn't even gone on a date with this person and now it's no a thing
1: exactly like it's hard to gauge like how much do you want to tell the person you're seeing, like, you know, when is the right time to tell them. Because it's it's a part like for me the eating disorder stuff is a massive part of your life. Like a big part of dating is socializing through food. Yeah. Which is just gonna happen in any dating context. You can't avoid it. So that's why like I try to be relatively open, but not like all of it. Like I'll just be like, yeah, I, like I struggle with food or um I have a history of an eating disorder. Like whatever. If they wanna ask questions, like I'll be happy to talk about it more, but I don't want to overwhelm them and like I know there's also a massive misunderstanding for what an eating disorder is and how it functions and but dating with mental illness is really tricky. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um let's jump back a tiny bit. When were you diagnosed with your stuff? Uh we specifically the eating disorder, but you can talk about the other stuff too.
1: So I was diagnosed with um depression anxiety when I first started going to therapy. So that was my freshman year of college. Um and I was diagnosed with an eating disorder because I didn't develop it actually until I was like 20, 21. Um, so at that point I was diagnosed with EDNOS, which is eating disorder, not otherwise specified, um, which turned into anorexia, which then became bulimia at one point. And I kind of just bounce around wherever they decide.
0: I I think eating disorder labels are dumb. I, I think like I know a lot of people with eating disorders, and so do you. And I feel like none of them fit into those little boxes. Hell no, it's, we'll talk
1: like, you know, a week prior, and then now, and like, you know, last week, I was dealing with bulimia. And
0: this week, it's like, it's just so arbitrary. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're seeking Mm -hmm. help for it, it's, it gets really tricky, because they want you to they want to categorize you into one or the other before they give you treatment. But I think the treatment model we have is kind of, is flawed in that like it needs to be able to cover more, uh, a broader scope, I guess. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to sound smart.
1: <laughs> no, that, that's just as hell. I think within the last couple of years, I've thought a lot about what diagnoses mean to me. Really. I only ever want to be diagnosed if it's to find treatment. Right. Like if it's, you know, to figure out how to go. Yeah, otherwise, especially in terms of, like, mental health diagnoses, like, otherwise they're pretty pointless. Like, I don't see, you know, the point saying, oh, well, you have EDNOS, not anorexia, because your BMI isn't low enough, but yet you're doing everything that someone who has anorexia is doing but we're just waiting for your weight to get low enough like
0: what I feel conflicted because I think diagnoses can also have the effect of validating people who might have spent their whole life feeling like like you did like you don't know what's wrong with you you feel fake but then I this is really common in the eating disorder community you see them take those diagnoses and wear them like a ribbon like a like a trophy Mm -hmm. like I'm I don't know Like it can go the opposite way where you're just so focused on being labeled something. You just don't take care of the issue. It's all bullshit.
1: You're so right. And like, but also it could flip the other way where it's like, if you're diagnosed EDNOS, like, okay, I'm not sick enough for anorexia. Cause that, that was my experience. I was doing everything. Like I was restricting really hard. I know my labs were all off. I was fainting and like, I felt terrible and they were like, okay, you're EDNOS. And it felt like, they brushed it off. Like it was like no big deal. And I'm just like, I just wonder like how it would look if I were, you know, 20 pounds underweight, 10 pounds, whatever. Well, and for those
0: who don't know, anorexia, you have to be a certain weight to be diagnosed, right? Like unless they've changed it recently. Apparently that's changed, but I don't. Yeah, we're not doctors here, but um, for a long time anyway, it was like that. So like, even Mm -hmm. if you were like, you were saying passing out and obviously Mm -hmm. sick, like also, it shouldn't matter. Like, who cares? You yeah. know, like we could talk about this in like a circle saying. all day long. Yeah. It's just really frustrating, yeah. and I'm sorry you had to deal with it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's it sucks. A lot of people. It's I'm, my situation is not unique. You know, there's so many other people who are in the same boat, and it's just sad. Um, and there needs to be something done about like, ter- in terms of like finding treatment for you know someone struggling yeah. with eating disorder, it should be way easier. Because there's so many people too, and I didn't, I didn't realize before I was, um, before any of this happened to me, just how many people have eating disorders. Because you really only have the image of like the girl who's super underweight. Yeah. It's like the white woman who is underweight, and that's the only fucking person. It's just yeah, no, that's just you know. But in high school, we were shown all of these stupid videos and stuff about like what anorexia looks like, what bulimia looks like. It's just I still have Um, not
0: found a single movie about bulimia that really captures what it's like to be bulimic. Uh, I know there's been like a few depictions here and there, but nothing, Mm -hmm. it doesn't get the same sort of spotlight as Anorexia. And that's not to say like it's a contest or anything, but it would be really validating sometimes to see that I'm not Mm -hmm. the only one that struggles with this. Um, yeah no
1: anorexia is like glamorized but, but then you you know you have
0: to be careful of media depictions of that kind of thing too for me like self-harm for instance I found out about it on tumblr and like eating disorders I knew about it online like I don't know how your experience was but uh, I can't I can't like, imagine being a teenager right now like with mm-hmm. the amount of stuff out there yeah like, that's so true when did it start for you again? I was 14.
1: So for me, I, I was an adult. Like, I was 21. So I feel like 14 to 21 was still, like, massively different oh, experiences. Oh, totally. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. It's also, like, normalized, like, what, like, thin, like, underweight bodies, uh, like, look like. People just see them all over the place. Yeah. So it's not...
0: And it's all... The, you the know, standard's like, always changing. Like, right now, like, being thick is, like in right now, I guess. I don't know. Like, there's always going to be some unobtainable body standard.
1: Dude, but I've still been called curvy and thick, like, being underweight, and I'm just like, what is real? What is real Oh my reality? god, I saw a like, post just...
0: on Facebook, my friend Desiree posted, shout out if you're listening. um, mm-hmm. It was, it said... If we all did the same amount of exercise and ate the same amount of food, our bodies would still all look different. And my mind was blown. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I know.
1: That... I've seen that before. Yeah. I love that post. That was circulating around. It's great. It's so true. Yeah. It's
0: so true. Um, speaking of like body perception, I kind of want to talk about your face stuff yeah. that yeah. you talked about whole... last time. Um, you, when you reached out to me to be on the podcast, you said you wanted to talk about... Facial dysmorphia, among other things, um and yeah. so I don't know if you want to ch- kind of give the listeners a brief rundown about what that is and what it looks like for you, because I had never heard of it.
1: Yeah, so that's why, like, I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like it's something that I haven't encountered many people dealing with. Although I know it's a thing. um For me, it's about symmetry, like because generally, like you know how I am and how I live, like I'm super organized, super neat, like the way my brain's always been and it kind of corresponds to like how I see myself too um so I became like fixated with symmetry in my face when I was really young when I was probably like seventh grade I did not like looking at pictures of my face it scared me like I saw a monster every time like I couldn't handle it it'd be extremely distressing so but at that point like I was able to just avoid it like I would just avoid photos like I would be behind the camera it's not a big deal but it felt like more in college, and when photos became more of a thing, when people were posting photos all over the place, I became, like, super fixated with it. Um, I'd stare at myself in the mirror, like, think about plastic surgery, You think about how, you know, skewed my nose was, just, like, little things like that. But it's not like when you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, you know, my nose is too big, or, like, something like that. It was, like, absolutely obsessive. Well, that's what I want
0: to do to um, differentiate, because I know – a, a lot of people think, like, if you have an eating disorder, you know, you hate your face, you have body dysmorphia, you know, but I think what yeah. you have goes beyond that, and way beyond. Yeah, so what, what uh, would you say is the, diff- the biggest difference?
1: I would say the differentiation for me was um, the, like, face checking, what I called it, like, I would have these thoughts about my face, and I'd have to, like, look in mirrors and, like, check to see, like, nothing looks different, that everything, like, it doesn't make sense rationally, but, like, I would it became obsessive compulsive and that was for me the biggest difference than just, you know, and it was a fixation. You would think about it all day and like it would even, um, I would get anxiety if I'm going to a restaurant, I'm like, I have to sit on the right side of someone. Like I have to make sure they're not catching me at a bad angle or something because they might be afraid of how I look, but that's just so bizarre to think that way. It's just not based in reality. And like, I know that rationally and I, you know, especially based on, you know, I've not had trouble dating. It's not like people have called me out like, oh, what's you know, I've never gotten bullied, nothing like that. It's just all been fabricated in my head. And it was hard. It was really bad for maybe the first like two, three years of college, where I was just, I, I didn't go to class some days, like I couldn't look in the mirror, I couldn't be around people. We get really bad social anxiety about it. Um, when like, you know, and I'm not, I wouldn't want to talk about it as much with people I knew because it felt attention seeking. So I would get compliments and people would be like, no, like, you know, I wish I looked like you. And I'm just like, like, it's so nice to hear that. But at the same time, I'm just like, but also I wish you could see what I see. Like it's,
0: yeah, I have mixed feelings about complimenting people with body dysmorphia or any other type of dysmorphia. Um, I know it comes from a good place. Like, even in the eating disorder community, I feel weird about it sometimes, like, complimenting people's physical features, um, because, you know, you'll never feel the way that they do, and, like, your comments could actually be harmful. I don't know. Right.
1: That, yeah, I had that issue with ex-boyfriends, too, where, like, they would, they knew I had an eating disorder, and they would still compliment parts of my body, or even bones, and, like, (sighs) stuff like that. And Yeah, it was a big yikes, and I had to like talk to them. I'm just like, maybe compliment, you know, just something general, like you're beautiful or you're pretty or whatever, like yeah. not specific. Yeah. You have great taste
0: I'd, in memes. I'd...
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your meme is <uses> perfection.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, um,
1: yeah, no, I feel the same way. It's, it makes me think more about what compliments, like what I'm really trying to communicate, like when I'm complimenting it's yeah. like, I want to make them feel good, but also I don't want it to be counterproductive where I'm saying like you know you look beautiful and then they're translating that as like oh it's only because of you know because I didn't eat today or whatever well when um I used
0: to work at Starbucks for a long time and I would try to have conversations with my customers and one there was a moment when I realized that every compliment I was giving out like had to do with some some like something someone was wearing or like their hair or their nails. Yeah. And it got really boring. I, I kinda listened to myself from a different perspective, like every other person. Oh, I like your bag. Oh I like your nails. I'm like that sounds robotic. And so I I tried to start complimenting other things about them, like uh, their smile or like, I don't know, still having to do with their looks. Like there's only so much you can know about a person when they're in line. But my connections became so much more like valuable and like real. Yeah.
1: No, things like that seriously matter because that reminds me, um, we have a regular who comes into my work. I I work as a front desk, um, receptionist and we have a, one of our regulars who comes in, he, he sees this other therapist. who's also such a wonderful, kind person. He just said to me one day, he's like, you know, I'm always just so happy when I walk in and you're you're working here. You have such a warm presence. Oh,
0: my God, my heart. It was so nice. Those are the compliments like, we need more of in the yeah, world. Yeah, those are the compliments
1: that stick. And, like, I, like, got a little, like, I up all of him. Like, that's just so freaking nice. Like, you don't understand, like, how impactful yeah. that is. We need to start a um,
0: movement of, like, yeah. <laughs> wholesome compliments. <laughs> like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, man. But stuff like that. Yeah, really sticks with you.
0: Yeah. Going back to the facial stuff. When did you talk to your therapist about it? And like, how did she handle it?
1: So I didn't talk to her about it until like maybe a couple months before I stopped seeing her because I was that ashamed of it. I didn't know how to verbalize it at that point. She knew I had like body dysmorphia to some level. But like, for some reason the face stuff like I was like this is fucking weird like nobody has this like who is this fixated on their face and certain features and, and you'd looked checking. it up on like
0: reddit and stuff and you couldn't find much yeah and like and
1: I found other people who also were suffering with this too and I was like damn like this is totally a thing but like how do you verbalize this to someone who hasn't experienced it they'll just be confused especially like when you know I I get compliments in real life. And I'm like, they just won't believe me. Like, they'll just think I'm attention seeking oh, that I'm, yeah, which is the worst. And I'm like, I don't, you know, so I just didn't talk about it for a long time. Um, I stopped seeing her. I mean, she was receptive to it, but I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't talk about it as heavily as I should have. Um, I did kind of briefly talk about it to a therapist I saw via telehealth during quarantine, but she was she, very nice lady, but she'd kind of I stopped seeing her because she didn't hold me accountable for anything like I was asking to make changes and I told her goals I had and she wouldn't you know follow up with them and she would just be more of like a friend and I'm like you know I have very lovely friends yeah. who would listen to me but no friends. but like I'm broke and I want to pay you to help me change my life so <laughs> like yes help me make this but so anyways I talked with her about it a bit she listened but the facial stuff it still bothers me today but like I kind of am trying to live my life more like accepting that people are going to see me whatever way they want it's out of my control like I don't there's only there's a very small amount that you can control about how someone perceives you especially physically so like you know I don't really have much of an impact on it sure I can try different makeup I can do my hair differently I can wear certain clothes but like in the end like I'm trying to just be more of like a genuine person and like focus more on like how I connect with people and how I talk to people and how I communicate like that I care about people and um you, I don't you know, definitely
0: I... come across that way to me like I I haven't known you that long maybe like a year maybe I don't know we met hmm. online and Uh, I think it was recently when I was in Virginia, when COVID first hit, like we started video chatting and I was just blown away right off the bat. Like it felt like you were uh, like a friend I'd known for years. Like you're just very, you're so open and like chill and just you exude care, like compassion and if not confidence, (laughs) just like self-awareness, I guess. I don't know. Um, I I just think you're a beautiful person and you know. I'll stop right there, but <laughs> you're gonna make me cry again. Oh well, it's okay because my kitten looks like he's about to jump on the microphone
1: again. again. Run, he's dude, sitting watching
0: go. me, like glowering at me. Like... Um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about romance because oh, since it's so topical. <laughs> I mean, I know I like, I always ask people right now during COVID, like, how are you coping? And I I think mm-hmm. that. When you're in a relationship, like, it changes the way you cope with things. And so I wanted to talk about what your experience has been like, like, before mm-hmm. and after.
1: Um, generally with romance, um,
0: I don't know. Like, what do you, I guess, like... Well, what what's your history been with dating? Like, how has your mental illness played a role in your romantic life?
1: So I was in a relationship for five years um, during college, basically all of college I met him when I first got there it was extreme codependency at the beginning which definitely corresponded with how my mental health was I needed a lot of validation I was insecure I was you know just stressed out and wanted someone to be there with me at all times so I could feel comfort and eventually things just got way toxic with us like we we would have been better off just being friends the whole time but um It just turned into, um, a lot of fighting, and, like, I, at that point, you know, like I said, my confidence was at an all-time low, so I didn't leave him for a very long time. Um, for years I stayed, despite us, like, at that point, we were not sexually active at all. We were basically, like, roommates, which is just fucking sad. It's hard to admit that,
0: especially when you're 18, 19, 20, like, you don't and mentally ill, like you can't mm-hmm. walk away from that easily. Like it's really hard to yeah. look at the facts.
1: Yeah. And with someone with the person I was dating too. I mean, I don't really have necessarily any bad blood with him. But I think he was also dealing with his own insecurities. And he made a lot of promises that he thought he could keep. And um, he kind of abused my patients, which now like with dating, I am like, if you do that shit to me, like I am not doing, like I'm not playing this game. If you say something like you got to follow through. If you don't like, I'll maybe give you one, maybe two chances, but like I will not waste my time. Like if you're going to waste my time like that, then respectfully like fuck off. Yeah. I mean, that's,
0: that's the point of those bad relationships, right? It's just what can I learn from them? Like they happened. We can't change that. They happened, but the only thing you can do is not fall into the same traps again which is way yeah. easier said than done.
1: <laughs> I know. But it's hard to not go the complete opposite way too. Because now I'm just like, you know, I'm super on edge. Like I don't, if I see red flags, I'm like, mm, you know, like I just, I'm pumping the brakes. Or it's like you
0: see what you might think is a red flag, but it's not. But like everything yeah. triggers you. Exactly. So I'm trying to be more, like the dude I'm
1: seeing right now, he told me I'm, I told him I'm very type A personality. And he was like, no, you're not. I was like, you don't think I'm type A? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. Because we've been going with the flow. Like we've, you know, he was, he asked me to be exclusive and all this stuff. And um, like, it's, it's chill. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm not, I don't feel as pressured to be like, yeah, let's, you know, let's right away, let's be dating boyfriend, girlfriend. Because that's how it was with past relationships. And like, I don't think I want that. I think I want to feel this out more. Like, I really want to be sure it's the right fit and try to like, just keep that anxiety at bay. If I can, you know, I'm afraid of wasting my time, but then again, like I'm, you know, I'm 25. Like I have the time to date and, um, figure out who's going to be a good match for me. But then again, I don't know what that would even look like. Also, Like like, why rush?
0: Even if you weren't 25, like you should never feel like you should rush into anything.
1: Exactly. I guess, you know, that, Makes me worry though because I'm dating someone who's a little bit older, so I'm like maybe you know he wants to be, but I'm trying to just go at my own pace.
0: <laughs> You're doing the same thing that I do, which is just constantly questioning everything and talking myself into loops and just worrying. Like I know there's memes where like the guy is in bed and the girl's next to him and she has all these thoughts in her head. Like what's he looking at his phone? Like oh my god, he's an inch further yeah. than normal. He's mad at me and he's just like looking at a meme. He's like, <laughs> like. That exactly it, and it's, just <laughs> <nothing>. <laughs> it's just I feel like we're the same in that regard like I wor- I let I worry way too much about everything in my relationship yeah, and it I just worked up like over nothing
1: but I'm trying to like see that's what I'm trying to work on like I'm just trying to be like no it really is nothing like why don't I just focus on something well else he doesn't right
0: think now. you're type a so I guess you're doing something I, right
1: I know that's why I'm like okay so far so good but But also I want to be authentic like I and I have been with him, but he doesn't see it as me being type A, which is kind of nice because not that I don't necessarily like I just feel like there's so many negative connotations of being type A. But I think generally my way of thinking is like very structured, but I want to have all these more spontaneous experiences, which we've been doing. We've been, you know, going doing a lot of outdoorsy things, which You know we'll have a general plan of like okay we're gonna do something on Sunday and that's enough for my brain like I'm like okay cool whatever it is you know we'll go with it but you know I think ideally I'd like to date someone whether him or whoever like who is more relaxed and easygoing because it puts me in check and it balances me a little bit because I can't have the clash of like someone else who's like okay we're gonna meticulously plan every fucking thing we're doing this week yeah like I don't need
0: that (laughs) I like to be the person that does that (laughs) like My boyfriend right now is very, very chill and laid back and he's just like, whatever. And I'm the type of person who can't watch a movie without getting up every 15 minutes. And so like, it works out,
1: but it's nice
0: to have that balance. So like, how, how do you maintain that balance right now? Like, and have a healthy boundary there, like, especially in the beginning when it's new and you're dealing with your own shit and we have a fucking pandemic on our hands. Like, I'm still learning. Yeah, (laughs) best answer
1: because you know I've ha- I've been I've dated a few people this past year and it's hard because I've got the anxiety's gotten the best of me and the people have been not the best choices um so I'm trying to be a little bit more picky now and um yes. I don't know the whole anxiety part of it though I'm I'm focused more on like you know and of course this is classic what you learn in therapy like feel the feelings and then just let them pass well you say that
0: but it's still kind of radical to me like I just started trying to do that and I think there's people who are listening who might like you never know who's listening you know I'm not saying it's easy by any means
1: (laughs) I'm not saying I'm
0: well not easy but like it it sounds like a common thing which I guess it is a common thing I don't know maybe I'm just late to the game
1: No, you're right, though. So I mean, that was something specifically for me, like, because how how my anxiety, like manifested, like, just let the feelings come up, feel them and acknowledge them and give them validation, or, you know, just dismiss them. It depends on the context. But for me, like, this is okay, this is the most cheesy thing. And if you know me, like, you'd be like, you really, you really do this. But like my therapist, just, just roll with me here. My therapist told me to imagine like, it's a cloudy day and you're just looking up at the sky and there's just really big dark cloud and you just watch it drift by. And that's what I do sometimes. Like I am visual. I'm a very visual person. So like, I'll just picture it. Okay. Like that's a thought. It's in my head. It's going to pass and then it passes. Yeah. Um, I think
0: that's incredibly helpful and not cheesy at all. Like that's what people need. Have you met mentally ill people where we're like very (laughs) um, held back? (laughs) We need all the help we can get. Truly.
1: But yeah, if that doesn't work, like I will, you know, intentionally I'll do something really stimulating, like whether it's playing video games or painting or something that'll engage my brain more. And like, so I can stop fixating, Um, which honestly, that's been the biggest help with anxiety and thought loops and stuff is just do something else. Like, you can by all means you can sit in that thought for you know minutes hours the whole day like it'll take you and it sucks but it's just like do I really want this with my day today like is this really how I want to spend my time this doesn't seem like the most not even productive I was gonna say productive but this doesn't seem like the healthiest use of my time right now so I'll try to do something else that's why like I said like later on tonight my friend's having like a little bonfire and I'm just like I don't know if I want to go like I'm feeling a little bit down today but I'm like I'm gonna go Sometimes I'm gonna commit to need. at least yeah like if you just say I'm gonna do this thing for an hour or like whatever seems manageable like I'm gonna stop by for 10 minutes yeah. even like something and it gets you out of that thought pattern and makes you feel better too for me personally at least like being around people and especially you know when my best friends is gonna be there nice. so
0: I'm <laughs> excited I hope you have fun Yeah, me too. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me again. It's It's round two. I know round two. (laughs) Better than ever. I know. We can wrap up, but is there anything else you wanted to add before we say goodbye?
1: No. Um. I'm just so glad I could be on this show.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. It's. I've been wanting you on forever. So thank you so much. And I I just hope someone can like learn more about themselves by listening to this. Like. I, I keep saying self-aware but you're I, I just see you that way and I, I feel like mm-hmm. I learn something whenever I read something you wrote or like talk to you and I hope someone else can feel the same way so thank you, thank you so much <laughs> and my cat says thank oh. you too for providing oh my entertainment yeah. <laughs>
1: alright
0: well I'll let you go enjoy the rest of your night you um, too Take care. you too bye hey guys Thanks for listening to this episode of Pickles and Vodka. If you could relate to anything we talked about, you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at Pickles and Vodka Podcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.